Good morning. Hey, sure good to see y'all today. We're always a little perkier after a rain, aren't we? Just a little bit perkier. Praise God. I'm so thankful. Um, God always demonstrates His goodness and grace by giving us what we need in the time in which we need it. He's always good, whether we get the rains when we think we need them or not. He's always good. And so we celebrate His goodness. We celebrate, again, today's goodness to us in Christ Jesus for sending Him to be the propitiation for our sins. We are actually forgiven in Christ, made new. And that's something to sing about, something to praise the Lord about. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. You should find somewhere in the pew around you a visitor card. If you haven't filled that out before, we'd love to have you do that. Uh, there's also a, a QR code you could st- scan in the bulletin. Um, I want to make you aware of a couple of things. Um, first of all, next Sunday is, I know it's fourth Sunday, and we normally have fifth Sunday on a fifth Sunday with our normal activities, Lord's Supper, Meal in the Fellowship Hall. We're doing that next week, next Sunday morning. Um, and next Sunday morning is going to be pretty special. We're going to baptize Uh, Our four youth that made professions of faith, we're going to baptize them in the service. I had originally said that we might do that after uh, we have lunch, but we're actually going to do it in the service so those uh, young people can partake in the Lord's Supper along with us. I thought, you know, that's that's how it ought to be. So we're going to do that, um, but then we'll have lunch afterward, um, after the service. So we will have the Lord's Supper, we will have a meal in the fellowship hall, but we are doing the baptisms during the service next week. Also, Women of the Word, um, that group, if you're not a part of that, make sure you talk to Callie Broyles uh, about that or Carrie Owen. Uh, it's a group of young ladies that are working hard to kind of gather the women different times of the year uh, for fellowship and service. Um, so if you are interested in helping out with the Women of the Word, gathering back-to-school supplies for Cherokee ISD, just make sure you can either see Callie Broyles or, like it says in the bulletin, you can give a monetary contribution to that. Um, and let them take care of purchasing all the things that need to be purchased and get those to the, to the right kiddos. Um, I want to say that's it except for Sydney's got an announcement, and she's so excited to stand up and talk. <laughs> you can go up here. <clears throat> I'm short. Hold on. Okay, so our Pray For Me campaign sign-up sheets are in the foyer, and it's just like the youth really want y'all to be praying for us, and so it's a way for us to get started. We'll hand out little books at eventually, and you'll get like a kid or two to pray for. So we'd really like for y'all to sign up so we know who all is willing to pray for us. Some of you might just get asked if you don't sign up, so <laughs> sign up anyways. So <laughs> thank you. All right, so last Sunday night at the business meeting, uh, Sydney and Macy did a brief presentation about that, and it's just a it's it's a um, an intentional way to get youth um, people to pray intentionally for the youth, and, and it lays out and the book will lay out ways that you're able to pray specifically for them. So if you haven't signed up, um, remember you could get asked, so you might as well sign up anyway. <laughs> Any other announcements we need to make this time? Okay, well, if you would, please stand um, as we focus our hearts for worship together this morning. Uh, we're going to have our call to worship. It'll be from Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. There's actually four slides, so I'll read the first and third one. We'll all read the second and fourth together. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's worship our King.
be seated. If the children will come down for the children's room. things that are really important, so I guess you should probably really understand this word. Who can read this? Distracted. Can you distracted? Okay, so maybe this will help. Every time I say this, get ready to say distracted, I'll, I'll lift this up and y'all can say distracted. Distracted, okay. Um, uh-oh. Would you bring me my phone, please? I can't exist without my phone, can you? <laughs> How many of y'all have ever been trying to talk to somebody and they were just staring at their telephone? Have you ever? Yeah? Has somebody done that to you? I mean, you're just you're trying to get their attention, but they're just like focused on their telephone. Um, or maybe you've done somebody that way. Maybe somebody was trying to get your attention and you were focused on a game you were playing or a book you were reading. So that's what, distracted. that's what distracted means. You are distracted by something and you're not paying attention maybe to something more important than what you're doing. Um, and that's nothing new. People were distracted when Jesus was here on the earth. There's, um, there's a story in the Bible about one time that Jesus went to visit his good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when he got there, Martha invited him into the house, and she got so busy making all the preparations for dinner, and she's rushing around everywhere, but guess where Mary was? <coughs> Mary was seated right there at Jesus' feet, listening to every word he said. Well, how do you think that went over with Martha? Not very good. Not very good. She was very upset and I can just imagine her can I use you as a prop I can imagine her when she went to Jesus and said my sister isn't doing anything I'm having to do all the work will you please tell her to help me that's basically the Bible tells us that's what she did but I can just imagine Jesus saying Martha Martha <laughs> can you can you imagine having Jesus' hands on your face? Martha, Martha, you're, too, you're running around doing all these things. Mary has chosen the better part. She's sitting here focused on the most important thing. Can you imagine if Jesus came to your house to eat dinner and you were too busy to sit and listen to him? This, I'm preaching to myself this morning. This is my biggest problem in life. I am so busy doing, I mean, doing some good things. A preacher can be so busy writing a sermon. Tell me if this has ever happened. So busy that you don't even stop to really spend time with God. I get so busy doing the things that need to be done in Kenya that, I don't take the time that I should to sit and just be in his presence. But Jesus said that's the most important thing, to hear what he has to say. And that we not be distracted by other things around us. Okay? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come to you this morning and we ask uh, that you help us to remember that you are the most important thing in our life. Don't let us get so busy with other things that we forget to spend time with you. Amen.
If you'll take your copy of God's word, let's turn to Psalm 116. It's also going to be up on the screen. Wow, that kind of hurt a little bit. I'm just glad that God does not have Facebook. I see so many people in my life who that's their focus. And all I could think about was Martha, Martha, Martha. So, Brady, sorry. Anyway, let's look at Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my plea for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Anybody ever feel that way? Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. Hallelujah. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. God, we thank you that you preserve the simple. Because compared to you, our thoughts are so simple. And God, we want you this morning to be glorified in us and to prepare us to walk out those doors and glorify you in a lost and dying world. As we worship you, Jesus, we want you to be honored and glorified. For you alone, our Lord, envelop the praises of your people this morning. I pray that. In Jesus' name.
God reigns, that he is still alive. Dig into our hearts this morning, Father, and show us your word. In the name of Jesus Christ alone, we pray. And God's people say. Isn't it good to worship the Lord together? Oh, it's good to worship the Lord together. I heard you singing loud today. Like you meant it. If you would, please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We're still in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 4. Actually, we're in chapter 5. I didn't change that on the slide. I apologize. We're in chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first 16 verses. I know you're thinking, wow, that's a lot. I hope you don't have any place to go. I'm just joking. Um, uh, that is a big chunk of Scripture. But, but I think I've um, figured out a way to condense it and to, to give it some structure uh, to where we can move through it uh, at a good pace uh, without, um, without feeling like we've missed anything. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 through 16. And this is God's word. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren... They must first to learn first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, If she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge." At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. But if any, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows... She must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text of Scripture. We pray that you uh, prepare our hearts even now, as you likely have already been doing through the worship, uh, that we might hear uh, what your word has to say to us, uh, how it, it lands on us as a church, as individuals. Father, help us to be a church that does indeed contend for honor inside its walls, inside its membership. We pray this for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I make it a goal uh, when I preach through a book uh, to keep the overall theme and flow of the book in the back of your mind while we're going through it. And, And think of it like this, and you can think of it this way too. Think of a skeleton. A skeleton needs muscle in order to go anywhere. And apart from the skeleton, the muscle can't really do anything. And so when I say I want to keep the overall theme and flow of the book in the back of your mind, think of it like 
the skeleton to which all the muscles of the text uh, connect and all the, uh, the muscle groups of the different sections connect. Now, the title of this morning's sermon is Contending for Honor, and I did not set out from the beginning uh, to make contending a theme when I began this series. Um, I'd like to say it just happened, but we all know better. It was God's providence, and it's been very helpful for me as I've preached through 1 Timothy, and I hope that it has also proved beneficial to you as well. Now, I mention this because uh, as I prepared this week, I struggled a little bit to discern a connection between this text and the overall flow of the book. You might, you might sympathize with me. But I'm thankful that um, Stephanie and I, we're getting ever closer to being empty nesters. And so um, as the kids have been gone, usually around 7.30 or so, I'd get up, mosey in, and she's already got questions. And I'm coffee, coffee. Let me get some coffee first. So we get some coffee and we sit there and we just have really had some great conversation. And this last week, she asked a lot of questions about 1 Timothy, and it really sharpened and refined my thinking, uh, and it helped me connect this text this morning, not only with the rest of the book, but also the rest of Scripture itself. And so one way I want to help maybe um, help us understand uh, some wider background that that can help us to to connect this text uh, to this book and also to um, the Bible as a whole is to, to think of an embassy. You know, we, I hope you know what an embassy or a consulate is. Um, you know, I've been to Haiti three times, and I know that there is an American embassy there. America established a formal relationship with Haiti, and, and, and they either leased or built or bought property. But anyway, they built a, an, an embassy there. And there are ambassadors, representatives of the United States that live and work in Haiti to advance the interests of the United States in cooperation with the folks there in Haiti. Um, and and when, we, when I walk into the Haitian embassy, um, I'm walking onto American soil. And, and so the reason I bring that up is because the church is an embassy of King Jesus. We, we sang about King Jesus Today, and so when when you walk into, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this a little bit differently. Let's say a Haitian walks into the Haitian embassy in America. They may have been walking around America and, and have been used to how things work in an American context, but they walk into a Haitian embassy and they should expect when they walk in there that they can probably get someone to cook them some maimule and some fried plantains. There's probably going to be Haitian Creole spoken there. And there's probably going to be the customs of Haitian culture in effect there. Now, why is that important? If the church, and I I believe it is, is an embassy of King Jesus, then if someone walks into our church, if someone is a member of our church, they can expect that there will be a culture that is different from the outside world. We will talk differently. We will act differently toward each other. Now, how does that come to bear on this morning? Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. Jesus was asked by a lawyer, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment or the great commandment in the law? And Jesus responds, He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then Jesus follows and said, On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. The church, as an embassy of King Jesus, will be a place, a group of people, where God is loved and people are loved. So a healthy church, a church existing and functioning as an embassy of King Jesus on earth, will function in obedience to the great commandment. It's important that we realize this. I want to put a quote from J.C. Ryle. You may not know who J.C. Ryle is. Um, he was a Christian from years ago. Um, he says, He who supposes that Jesus Christ only lived and died and rose again in order to provide justification and forgiveness of sins for his people has yet much to learn. Whether he knows it or not, he is dishonoring our blessed Lord and making him only half a Savior. Well, what does he mean by that? What he's getting at is that saved people should live in a saved way. 
Justified people should live in a justified way. Sanctified people should live in a sanctified way. So church people who have been born again will live differently in the church. And this morning, the title of the message is Contending for Honor. Contending for Honor. And if we were to put this in the context of what Ryle just said to us, If we just suppose that Jesus lived and died and rose again just in order to save us, we've made Jesus half a Savior. He saves us so that we might live as we've been called to live, as if Christ through His Spirit lives in us. And and what that means for us in this text and for us as the church is that means honoring God by honoring others in the church. Honor is not something that just springs up here in 1 Timothy. It's a theme in Scripture. Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 8.21, For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. Then in Romans 12.10, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And then he says in Romans 13.7, Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom it is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear Honor to whom honor. Honor is a crucial part of a healthy church. In fact, I want to just say it this way. A healthy church honors appropriately. I think that is a good statement to summarize what's going on in chapter 5. A healthy church honors appropriately. Now, I want to take that and flesh it out in three ways in this text. The first way is this. A healthy church corrects. With appropriate honor. A healthy church corrects with appropriate honor. Now, Timothy is in Ephesus as Paul's apostolic delegate there. And he is, he is to remain there because there are issues in the church at Ephesus that Timothy is supposed to address. And, and we've read about those in the text. And Paul at no point has pulled punches. I mean, he's told Timothy that the situation is serious. It's, it's not hopeless, but there's great cause for concern. There are strange doctrines being taught. There is poor leadership and disorganization. And as a result of all of this, people are falling away from the faith. And so Paul has left Timothy there to contend, to fight. Fight a good fight. Not a belligerent fight, but a good fight for this church. And Timothy has authority for this task. Both as Paul's apostolic delegate and as a preacher and teacher of Christian doctrine. And so in using his authority, Timothy must not be timid, but neither must he be abusive. He is to correct with appropriate honor. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as sisters, The older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Paul's addressing different groups here. And and I submit to you that these may be groups that he may be, by implication, addressing when he talks about um, honoring widows. But there is a way to confront while maintaining a person's honor. Now I tell you, there's been times that I have identified with Moses, um, and, and not that and I've, I've parted the Red Sea. It's that there was the time when the people of Israel grumbled, right? They grumbled because they didn't have water. And, and Moses had already been able to bring water out of a rock. The second time Moses did that, you remember what happened? He got seriously frustrated with the people. And he took a rod and he struck the rock. And he berated the people. And what happened? They got water, but God said, you didn't do it my way. Moses, don't you trust me? Don't you trust that I know how to guide you into guiding these people? And I think Paul is saying to Timothy, and and he may not be, you know, Timothy may not associate Moses with this, but I think it's a good connection. Timothy, don't get so frustrated as you're leading change there that you strike the rock. And you don't do things according to how I've instructed you. See, Paul has already been mentioning to Timothy how to contend for the faith. And one of the ways he did that in chapter 1 was to 
contend for the faith with grace and gospel hope, believing that the gospel really does do its work, and to be gracious. And I think he's also reminding Timothy, don't be like a Marine Corps drill instructor. You know, you, you need, Timothy, not to use a sword in doing surgery, but you need to use a scalpel. I think we all know this. There are times when people are fighting disease. And if you, if you just ignore it and withhold treatment, the patient will die. But then also you can swing in the opposite direction. And you can kill the patient by using too much treatment. So the point here is that a healthy church should correct with appropriate honor. You don't want to berate and belittle. You don't want to ignore but you want to demonstrate honor. And as Paul has mentioned in verses 1 and 2, honor that is appropriate for a family. Men treated like fathers. Younger men treated like brothers. Older women treated like mothers. Younger women treated like sisters in all purity. And this is in practice, not in theory. This is, this is not head knowledge. This is heart knowledge. Now I want to point out here some, some key words. In the text. He says in verse 1, do not sharply. That's a key word. He doesn't say don't rebuke. He says don't sharply rebuke. In fact, this word is used one time in the New Testament. In other places, Timothy is to rebuke. But he says, Timothy, don't sharply rebuke. Appeal. Appeal. Again, I want to... I submit to you that this section is providing Timothy a basis... For correcting honorably particular age groups. Not only on the issues that Paul has already addressed. And he's addressed a number of them. Uh, teaching that's incorrect in the church. Uh, setting things up for the success of women in the church. So Paul is he's, he's helping him. But it's not only these issues. It's, it's this particular issue that, that Paul's going to address in the remaining verses. And that's namely the treatment of widows in the church. So that brings me uh, to the second way a church will contend for honor. Excuse me. A healthy church is compassionate with appropriate honor. And that's in verses 3 through 8. Um, Paul does turn his attention to widows. And, and widowhood in ancient Rome was extraordinarily difficult. If you didn't have any sort of uh, means... Um, it, it, could, it could cause great hardship to poverty, hunger, um, kids starving, um, ladies um, going into an occupation that um, is frowned upon, sinful, that they might make ends meet. You recall the story uh, of uh, Christ there in the temple, and there's a woman who comes in, and, and all of these people are making uh, a big show about how much money how many coins they're putting into this. Uh, it looked like a big trumpet. And when they put their coins in there, it'd make all kinds of racket. And everybody would look over and say, oh, what a great person that, that man, that, that person is. And then the widow comes in. And she's poor. In fact, she's so poor, all she has is that one little mite. And she puts it in. Uh, being a widow was hard. But, but God... And you think about it in the Old Testament, and, and this carries on to the New, that God has a heart, a heart for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. And so in order to be in line with God's concern, and then also to be a faithful witness of the gospel in Ephesus, this type of ministry would have been a faithful witness to the Gentiles there in Ephesus. And knowing all of this, Paul then says, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. In order to be in line with God's concern for the oppressed, the, the, the marginalized, and to be a good witness, do these things. So the church is to ensure that true widows are honored appropriately with the compassionate care that they so desperately need. Remember, remember the context. Now again, Paul is commanding the practice of honor. And it's not just theory. It's, it's practice. It's not just lofty thoughts with no follow-through. Head knowledge is only the beginning. It must move from the head to the heart and from the heart to the hands and feet in practice. 
Paul says in verse 4, if any widow has children or grandchildren, then, then it's that family who should give that widow the compassionate care she needs. She is, and this is the way it's, it reads in the New American Standard, she's not a widow indeed. So Ephesians 6, 2, quoting from the, the Ten Commandments, uh, that it applies here. Where Paul writes, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So I want you to stop and think about this. There is a widow who is in need in the church there in Ephesus. The church has the resources to take care of her. Should they take care of her? The answer in this situation is no. The family should be encouraged to do their honorable part. See, the church would dishonor God's commandment. There in, in, in Ephesians 6.2, honor your father and mother. The church would dishonor that commandment by fulfilling the role that's reserved for the family. Therefore, and this is going back to verses 1 and 2, Timothy may need to appeal to these family members on the basis of Scripture to practice, and this is what Paul says in verse 4, to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for their parents. In other words, your parents devoted themselves to making sure you were brought up well when they need you be there for them. And Paul says, if you do this, into verse 4, he says, this is acceptable. It's pleasing in the sight of God. So remember, Timothy, he, he may have to sit some people down and, and correct them honorably. And if the result is that these family members carry out God's command, then the church, listen, the church has done its job to make sure these widows receive appropriate honor and that God was honored in the obedience of His command. But verse 5 says, there's a different kind of widow. There's a widow who has been left alone. And she is a widow indeed. She's got no family members to be there to give her the compassionate treatment she needs. She's cast her lots, her lot with God. She trusts Him. She's fixed her hope on Him, verse 5 says. She continually... Night and day brings her entreaties to God, her prayers, her supplications, her requests, trusting that He will meet her needs through the church. She believes that the church will share God's heart for the widow and orphan and stranger. So, so she has good reason to expect help. But there is another kind of widow that Paul talks about. It's, she's in verse 6. And this kind of widow should not expect help from the church. Neither should the church give it. This widow professes Christ, but lives her life dishonorably before the Lord. He says in verse 6, she gives herself to wanton pleasure. She immerses herself in luxury. She devotes herself to sensuality. I think following in line with encouraging the family to take care of their widowed relative. There's a, there's a principle that applies here. Because there's a greater need. Paul says at the end of verse 6 that a widow who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead while she lives. And so how best does the church honor her? Well, the church would honor her by showing godly compassion... And appealing to her from the scriptures to repent of her sins and seek God's forgiveness and to walk in holiness. Not to meet her needs while turning a blind eye to her more pressing spiritual need. And it's not to, to look down your nose at her. That old brazen hussy, that heifer. That's, you know, I grew up those kind of conversations in my family that brazen hussy don't call her a brazen hussy don't look down your nose at her don't judge her help her it's a serious situation and it demands urgent help because Paul has seen and heard through 
correspondence back and forth with Ephesus that people are wandering away from the faith. So help her. Don't look down your nose at her. Help her. The situation is serious. It demands urgent attention. Help her. Then Paul says in verse 8 something that maybe when you heard me read it, if you were reading it in Scripture yourself, it sounded very shocking to you. He says, if a professing believer does not provide for his own, his own relatives, even his own household, he has denied the faith. In other words, he does not get what Christianity is all about. He's like J.C. Rowell. That person understands Jesus is half a savior. He's denied the faith. He's dishonored Christ. And he's worse than an unbeliever. Why would Paul say worse than an unbeliever? Because an unbeliever knows better than that. You've got to help your family. So this man, this, these people who fail to look after their own family... They've dishonored God, and they need to be rebuked. To turn a blind eye to that kind of disobedience doesn't honor the one who's disobeying the command to take care of his relatives. Pointing him toward the Scriptures, encouraging him to repent of that and to to help help honor his widowed mother or relative, that, that honors him and honors God. Finally, A healthy church appropriately honors godly conduct. We find this in verses 9 through 16. Paul says in verse 9, he gives a list of, he mentions a list, and then it's like there's two lists here. There's a list of widows who were eligible for receiving aid. In order to be put on this list, a widow must be a true widow, a widow indeed, and there was a list of criteria that she must meet. He says, first of all, in verse 9, she can't be less than 60 years old, so 60 or older. And she has to be, and this go back to what was said about the elders and deacons. Uh, you know, uh, they said a man, uh, a, a man of who's, because uh, I always say it, a one-woman man. Let me go back to it. Deacons must be husbands of only one wives. says that same thing about the elders. She's got to be a one-man Woman doesn't mean that she can't be. Um, she she must have been faithful to her husband. And then Paul says after that she must have honored God with her everyday life. And he says it at the beginning, at the end of, of verse, um, the beginning of verse ten, and at the end um, of verse, beginning and end of verse ten. He talks about good works. And he talks about bringing up children. If she has brought up children, okay, well, there may be some widows who have, have not ever had children. How does this apply to them? Think back to what Paul did with Timothy in chapter 2, where he talked about creation order with regard to Eve and women teaching in the church. He, he reminds Timothy is that there was a creation order. There's, there's a a biblical view of womanhood. So if, if this, relative, this, this widow has operated, she has functioned in line with a biblical understanding of womanhood, then, then she meets the criteria. Furthermore, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, and this would be likely itinerant missionaries, uh, Christian workers, evangelists, if she has taken care of people, and, and it could even be that Timothy was one of those people. Has she washed the feet of the saints? Now, she may actually do that, but washing feet is a ministry of service, the most humble service. And it may be a, a, a way broadly of saying there's no service that she won't do. And finally, he says, has she assisted those in distress? Has she looked with mercy on those in need? Has she done the ministry of compassion to the needy? In other words, again, Paul says... Has she devoted herself to every good work? Again, let me remind you, this this does sound a lot like a list that have come before in terms of elders and deacons. In fact, some scholars actually believe that these widows were put on the list in order to be compensated for the ministry they were performing to the church. Perhaps looking after orphans, organizing hospitality, coordinating and carrying out service to the saints and those in distress. 
And some believe that they may, these widows had may, may have even taken a vow to remain a widow so that they might devote their lives to the Lord in service of His church. Now that may be true, it may not be true. I don't think anyone knows with certainty. But at any rate, a true widow who expects to receive some aid from the church because she, is, she has no one else to help her must meet these qualifications before the church would honor her with compassionate care. However, there is another way. Verse 16, if a, if a widow is a widow indeed and she is dependent on another woman and not the church, then, then that woman should continue functioning in that way, helping out this widow so that the church can allocate its resources uh, for others who may need it. Even still, these women must meet the qualifications of godly living. The same principles apply. Only godly conduct must be honored with compassionate care. So a healthy church doesn't honor ungodly conduct. It addresses it. It, and we find that in, in the middle of this section, uh, in verse 11 and 12, 13. Paul's addressing a, probably addressing a real situation, not, not a made-up one. It's very likely that the younger widows had made a vow of service to God and had reneged on their vow. Sensual desires had pulled them away from service to Christ in disregard of Him. You might think of another example in Scripture where... Paul had this faithful, traveling, ministering companion named Demas. Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Paul, at the end of his letter, and you can just hear the tears and the hurt in his... In, I mean, I, I could hear it. It says, for Demas, having loved this present world, he's deserted me. He loved the world too much. Wouldn't keep his vow. He left. Perhaps that's the same thing these widows are doing. They broke their vow, Paul says in verse 12. They set aside their previous pledge. But not only did they do that, they got married and they turned to sinful living. Remember, it wasn't wrong to get married. It was wrong for them to break their vow. So breaking their vow, falling prey to sensual desires, they turned to sinful living. They become busybodies who stir up trouble in the church through idleness and gossip. They're busybodies in terms of juicy gossip, but they are idle in their devotion and service to the Lord. So Paul tells Timothy, this kind of widow, verse 11, refuse to put them on the list. Now again, Paul does say, verse 14, he wants widows to get married, younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for Reproach. So understand, Paul's not telling younger widows not to marry. He's telling them, if you made a vow, it's better that you had never made that in the first place than to make a vow and break it. He's telling them, there is a way for you to be married and serve the Lord. Just as widows who made the vow could be unmarried and serve the Lord, there's a way for remarried widows to serve the Lord and be married in fact, in order to promote service to God and to prevent disregarding Christ through sinful desires, that's why Paul says, Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Again, he's prescribing biblical womanhood. Don't get caught up in the particular details. It's more about biblical womanhood. And so if a woman does this, she gets married. She remarries after she's widowed. And then let's say that her next husband dies. And she has done the types of things that meet the criteria for a widow indeed. Then, then by being obedient to this command to, to remarry and to live in accordance with biblical womanhood, she's going to have devoted herself to true works and godly conduct. And she'll be worthy of the honor and care a true widow actually needs. I want you to notice in verse 15 something that we, we shouldn't let pass. He says, For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So Paul is, is impressing upon Timothy the urgency of this guidance. You don't get in there and help these ladies. 
some of them are going to fall away and stray after Satan. So you, you might think this is just simply something about policy. It is deeper than that. It's deeper than that. As a church, we should understand that the Bible is written to us for our instruction. In fact, if you keep in mind that our modern situation differs greatly from that of Rome, we remember that financial care is for widows, like Paul describes, the widow indeed, is, it's really less likely to fall to the church. Because widows may be the beneficiary of a life insurance policy or a retirement pension or some sort of, of government program. So, so why don't we just skip this section? Brother Shannon, it's 12 o'clock. I mean, what? Well, why don't we just skip this section? You might also say, you know, the previous section was to Timothy, a good minister's discipline. Why didn't we just skip that? Brother Shannon, why didn't we skip the section on elders? You know, because we don't, know, we don't recognize elders in our church. Why do we do this? Because all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful for teaching, preaching, rebuking. And for training in righteousness. We need to preach this. We need to hear this. We need to wrestle with this. Because what was written before was written for our instruction. So, that being said, what's the usefulness of this text for us? How does it instruct? And I remind us what I said near the beginning. A healthy church honors appropriately. We shouldn't say that we... Honor God if we dishonor Him by ignoring the truly needy in our church. If a widow truly needs care, we should give it. But neither, on the other hand, should we say that we honor God if we show compassion to the needy financially while turning a blind eye to their disobedient and dishonoring conduct. We're to love God. We're to honor Him. We're to love people. We're to honor them. But those are not opposed to each other. That's why in order to carry this out, we must do it in the power of the Spirit. And not in theory, but in practice. Father, we praise you for this section of Scripture. It's got some wonderful principles for us. To remind us, even though... Things might have changed in terms in relation to, to widows. The, the need may still arise, if not in our country, perhaps in other countries. It's good for us to know um, how to honor people appropriately in the church. But Father, make us diligent to honor one another, <clears throat> to honor those who need the help, to honor them by helping them see where they may be failing in their walk with you and to do so in a compassionate and loving way not in a a sense of trying to hurt or shame but in a way that, that brings honor to you and draws them back pray in Christ's name Amen we're going to have a time of response I want you to urge you to stand we're going to sing I am dying O Lord if there's any sort of decision you need to make now would be the time to do that let's sing together as we were just singing that song um, that you know, in order to apply what we just talked about here maybe not in, in specific but in, in you know, the general terms of honoring you know, that's, that's easier said than done and, and how often we need to pray draw me nearer, nearer 
nearer blessed Lord. You know, that, because he was one who humbled himself and, and honored others. And uh, he's, a, he's a fine example of that. He's the best example of that for us. A few prayer updates. Um, Addie Webster is home, but she has had a really rough week. Continue to pray for her as she battles cancer. I talked to Ben Campbell this week, and Blake has got COVID, so pray, pray for Blake. Um, our own Charlie is going to have a pacemaker put in on the 27th, so pray for Charlie. Uh, continue to lift up Clinton Hayden. He's in ICU uh, and has been battling a number of different things. Um, he, he's, last we heard, he was intubate, intubated and is still intubated. That doesn't generally uh, sound positive, so please pray for Clinton. Um, also pray for a lady that cleans our church. I remember Gianna Lasley, she's our postmaster down at the post office. Her mom, Paula, is having uh, a stent put in tomorrow, so pray also for her. Uh, and pray for Richard. Uh, he's going to have a, another stent put in, at least one, uh, maybe more or just one, just one. He's going to do that on Friday. So a lot to pray for this week. Then we also have a praise. If you haven't all heard, Evan Everett White was born this last week. I got to hold him. I got to hold him. And uh, he's a cutie. And mom's doing well. Family's doing well. So uh, if you hadn't had a chance to say hi to the kid, you might give him a call and see if they're open to visitors. Um, But call. I I would call Steph. So, any any other prayer updates we need to pass along? Okay, so pray for Bobby Ratliff. He's he's battling respiratory junk, and and it's going around. So, anyone else? Well, all right. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. We'll say the Great Commission. Be dismissed, and we'll see you tonight. Father, we. Thank you again uh, for the privilege of prayer, for being able to come to you with our concerns. You are the the most high God, the King of heaven and earth. Uh, To where else would we go to offer our uh, petitions and praises, to bring our needs and our concerns? Uh, You are the only person who can hear and do in accordance uh, with your will and and your glory. So we pray, God, that you would uh, look down upon these that were mentioned and that you would give them what they need. Lord, we pray for healing for those that need healing, uh, for those that are um, suffering from the loss of a family member, those that have impending surgery, uh, those who just are have an ongoing fight. Pray that you would um, display your power and glory, your goodness, your wisdom uh, in those situations. You do so uh, for the glory of Christ, that people might know that there is a God in heaven who loves people and who serves them. Uh, Lord, we pray for um, Richard this next week as he has his surgery. Pray that it goes smoothly. Pray the same for Charlie. And we also pray for Gianna's mother as she has this done. Um, Lord, we pray for Bobby as he's dealing with uh, respiratory issues. and um, All the ones that we mentioned, Lord, especially Clinton Hayden. Lord, uh, I pray that he would take a turn soon for the better. That you would bring healing to his body. Uh, Lord, we lift all these up to you in the mighty name of, of Christ our Lord. Uh, amen. Say the Great Commission and we'll be dismissed. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority has been given to me. Let's try it again. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold,